Amen. Thank you. Um, so Dave and Lee Hall are with us today from Morocco, where Dave was playing the French horn. We're going to hear from them a little bit later. Dude, I got to go to Morocco. I have to go to Morocco. That's like, sounds nice. So, and they just moved to, a, well, I, he'll tell you all that. Never mind. I'm going to steal his thunder. I don't want to do that. Um, all right. I have uh, La Colombe coffee cards. All right. Anybody brave to recite from memory, not looking at the screen, one of our verses? Mm. Huh? All right, come on up. I owe you one of these from last week anyway. You're going to get double. That's 10 bucks. And in case you need to bring somebody with you, I am certainly willing to come. I need to Helpful. Okay, so this is the Ephesians 1, uh, 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not on your own. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no man can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has created beforehand that we would walk in them. Amen. Good job. There's your second one. Wait, two? No, you got one for last week. I forgot to give no, you one. No, come on now. <laughs> All right, anybody brave enough to do Romans 12, 1 and 2? Come on, I know some of you know this one. I know it. You're just too scared to get, to get up. There. You were scared. You were scared to get up here. All right. Well, maybe next week. You know, uh, by the way, these are for me, for me personally. So you going to do it, Jen? Amen. Come on up. All right. If your daughter what? Oh, she comes with you. Uh, emotional support. Yeah. Let's do it together. Well. <laughs> I know she knows it. <laughs> okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Good job. Thank you. Now, you, you don't know this, but uh, anybody from a community group. So, Kristen, what community group are you in? Wednesdays. So, Dave's group. So, uh, Lindley has to cook them, a, a, yeah, and then you have to make our group one because Jen's in our group, the best group. <laughs> Amen. All right, good. That's fun. Anyway, uh, so we've been doing this for a few weeks. We've, we've decided we're going to choose verses for every series and just kind of memorize those together because it's important to sort of hide the Word of God in your heart. So, in, in the coming weeks, Try to memorize these things. We'll do that together. There's little cards. There were, there are, maybe, like this, uh, someplace floating around if you haven't gotten one that we printed up with them on both sides so that you can use that, stick it in your pocket, keep it with you. So uh, that's there. Um, if you're not, if, if you haven't been sitting through these sermons, we're, we're discussing spiritual formation. Um, and, you know, the, these verses have been integral in, in that discussion. Uh, and we've said a few things over the last few weeks. Just let me kind of recap some of those things. We've said that we're here for God's glory 
through God's mission. We're here for God's glory through God's mission, that we practice the presence of God uh, leading into our spiritual formation, which also simultaneously we're being called to mission, and that being a mission that is both of word and of deed, that we're, we're being in Christ and uh, we're doing the things of Christ, right? We've said that spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the likeness of Christ uh, for the sake of others. It's not just so we feel better, or we feel fuzzy and good about G- us and Jesus, but it's for the sake of others. As a matter of fact, a little side note, uh, the local church is to strive towards reaching every ethnic group, every people group on the earth. You know, remember Matthew 24, 14, and when Jesus said, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you to the very ends of the age. Um, so that's his last command, which becomes our first concern. Those are very important points in the Christian life. Um, we've said to come to Christ. Last week we talked about coming to Christ means coming into the body of Christ, right? Uh, being a part of the local church, right? Not, not just the global church, like some hippie thing, like, well, well I'm attached, man. But uh, No, the local church, this people, this group of people right here, and, and in that, We are spurred on to growth. We're spurred on to change and transformation in relationship with others. Um, And how challenging and how beneficial that is for us in in our life with Christ. We we glorify Jesus as we stay at the table in, in the body of Christ, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, right? So today there are two short passages uh, which I want to focus our our attention on. Uh, And in them, we see Paul and Timothy uh, practicing body or church life in this sort of discipleship relationship, the things that we're talking about, right? The first is in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19, and it says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. We don't really know what those prophecies are, I don't think, um, unless there's a Bible head in, in here that tells me that I'm missing something, but I don't think we really know what those are. But, but uh, it says, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, right? I would imagine these prophecies are something about his leadership, right, and, and, and him leading other people in, in the faith and stuff like that. Verse 19, he says, holding on to the faith and, and, and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Now, Timothy, let's be uh, cognizant that Timothy is fighting a battle, right? He is fighting a battle. He's, he's been leading other Christians. There have been false teachers uh, in this whole discussion, you know, uh, trying to, you know, mess things up, and, uh, along with the normal sort of influx of, of cultural stuff into the lives of the people that he leads, that he's always got to be fighting against. So spiritual fa- formation, let's just be honest, spiritual formation is a constant struggle. <laughs> it's a constant struggle to guard, uh, you know, to guard truth, the gospel message in our own hearts, uh, both in our own hearts and also before those whom, whom we serve alongside or those that we're discipling or those that we're leading. Some of us are leading others, right? And so make no mistake, 
really make no mistake, is that the Christian life is a spiritual battle at the very least. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. Paul, in, in the position of discipling Timothy, this younger brother, urges him to be both a good soldier in that sense, <clears throat> in the sense of guarding the integrity of the gospel message, as well as a good sailor, <laughs> right? In, in navigating the treacherous waters of life and of culture in order to come through unscathed, right? And what we understand is that spiritual formation doesn't just happen, right? It, it doesn't just happen. It's, it's not like the matrix, plug, matrix plug-in download. You remember, you know, they plugged him in the, in the back of his head and like he could suddenly know karate and stuff like that. It doesn't happen like that. We don't, you know, accept Jesus, get the Holy Spirit, and suddenly we're like totally spiritually formed. No, this is something that we work at. This, is, this takes effort. We don't come to Jesus and then coast. We don't uh, rest on our laurels um, as if he's some fire insurance. Effort must be put in to our spiritual development. It must, exactly. I love amens. Remember, God's not against effort. And we say this all the time because I'm trying to drill it into your little brains, right? God's not against effort, but he is against earning, right? Remember, you don't earn favor with God by what you do or how well you practice the spiritual life. No one gets brownie points um, from God for praying louder and longer or giving more money or feeding the homeless or, 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 or for memorizing more scripture, although from Jason you get coffee cards, right? But you don't get brownie points from God for those things. Although I think he's pleased when we do those things with a, with a pure heart, right? Our value and our worth in the eyes of God, isn't earned by these things. That's not how we, we come into relationship with God. It's imputed. It's ascribed to us by Jesus conquering sin and death, you know, through his sacrifice on the cross and through that empty grave where he overcame death. And in that positional assurance with him, we're invited into the process of spiritual formation, of growing deep, more deeply into his character. As a matter of fact, everyone... Everyone on the face of the earth is always, at all times, being spiritually formed. The question is, to what end? Right? If, if, if we're not intentional in pursuing Jesus deeply, we will be formed in some way, and most likely not towards Christ. Right? Not towards his character. If we simply allow ourselves that we become passive, right? We allow ourselves to marinate in culture, adopting every wayward thought and philosophy and teaching that comes downstream to us, just sort of swallowing it all whole. We'll soon find ourselves sort of like lost in the blizzard and we can't see the lights of home where Jesus actually resides. We won't see the rocks below the surface of the waves and we will be shipwrecked in our faith. It, it's like... It's like gaining weight. You know, it happens a little bit at a time, and suddenly you, you wake up and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm overweight, right? I talk about that a lot, don't I? I'm very self-conscious about that. Uh, anyway. But Paul urges Timothy in this little passage. I love that little passage. Just, a, a, you know, an older brother talking to a younger brother. Paul urges Timothy to faith. Now, I, I, if you want to make a, a pastor's skin crawl, say, well, it's just blind faith. No, no, 
It's not blind faith. I'm not, I don't, the, blind faith didn't bring me to Jesus. I was pretty convinced of some things. I remember my brother on the phone with me talking about uh, prophecies of Christ, you know, 400, 700 years before being fulfilled in Jesus. That was solid to me, right? It's not blind faith. It is faith in a very real story, a very historical real story of the resurrected Christ and all that comes with it. you got to understand that. As 1 John 1, 1 reminds us, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, that our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. We walked around with Jesus. We ate meals with him. With him. We, slept, we slept on the ground next to him. We, we, we talked with him. We conversed with him. We laughed with him. That's what they're saying. In other words, this Jesus thing is real. It is real. We were there. We witnessed him personally. We, we did life with him. This isn't blind faith. This is not blind faith. This is faith with evidence. This is faith with a foundation. Don't ever come to a pastor and say, well, it's just blind faith. It's not blind faith. There is so much to hang your hat on in the Christian faith, much more so than anything else. It takes much more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It really does. Paul also urges Timothy to a good conscience, doesn't he? Right? To know that we've been true to the message, right? To the message of Christ through, through G, to Jesus throughout this whole struggle of our faith. Walking with him in it, having, having integrity. Integrity is a profoundly important word for us right now in Christianity. Having integrity. That we stand by the scriptures, we stand by Jesus in walking this stuff out. And that we, you know, we, we listen to the scriptures, we, we listen to other Christians who are solid in their faith, who, who've experienced sailing these waters of life, and, and they say to us, don't go down that way. If you go that way, you're going to get stuck on a sandbar, a philosophical sandbar, or whatever it is. Go this way. This is the true way. This is the good way, right? And so we as believers, we build trust in the Word of God. We build trust in the body of Christ. We build trust in the Holy Spirit and our life with Him. We live and we preach the true Jesus, not fabricated stories. This is where sticking to the script is actually very, a very good thing. Since it's about issues of the heart. It's about issues of life. It's about issues of salvation. It's about life and death. It's about not only that in the future, but it's also about freedom for people's hearts right now. It's about eternal life, for goodness sakes. It's that important. So good conscience is integrity of message and life in Jesus. And that's what I want. That's what I want. Now, the second passage we can look at is also Paul leading Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, where he gives a warning. He says, but mark this. And these aren't passages that we really like to read, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not fun passages, but it says, mark, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, (sighs) lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, right? Having noth- have nothing to do with such people. Those are definitive statements. That's a heavy, heavy warning. And it is very apropos for our day, isn't it? If any one of us, anybody in this room, took the time to meditate on this list, we'd find that we do now or have in the past known any number of people that fall or embody one or more of those things on that list. Maybe even ourselves. Maybe we fall in there someplace. And make no mistake, the last days are right now. It's not in the future. This is right now. This is the nightmare we live in a sense. Not that there aren't wonderful things about the world and everybody in it and all that stuff. There is also some very dark things that we have to admit are going on or, or, or that infiltrate our lives. The last days are now. And so this is a word picture of the degeneration of humankind without Jesus. That's what it is. Of those who are being spiritually formed into the negative, away from Christ. And the list begins with self-love. Notice this. It begins with self-love, and it ends with false piety, right? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So what it suggests is uh, people disguise their selfishness by external religious observances. So, So I'm not sitting up here pointing the finger at everybody out there. Although they embody this list maybe at some level and different levels and all that stuff. We're also pointing the finger at ourselves. It suggests that people disguise their selfishness by external religious observances, that Jesus had words for that, right? He called them the whitewashed tomb. The dichotomous and the duplicitous religious life. Having a Christian lingo, right? Having a Christian, you know, language about us, attending church here and there and all that kind of stuff, but never really being formed in Christ, never really caring about that. That is a powerless faith, powerlessness in faith. Guys, that's a nightmare to me. I do not want a powerless faith. What a useless time, Right? So it is people enjoying the outward expressions of Christian faith while assuming that the practice of these visible manifestations of religion is just sufficient, that that's all they have to really do. But there's no change. There's no life. Since they still participate in the common vices and values of the surrounding culture. And as a result, their lives deny the power of the faith that they profess, right? I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Spiritual formation is a struggle. The rest in that list are are byproducts of self-love, right? They result in a moral laxity, the lack of concern for other people, and a neglect for Jesus and his mission. 
Every good work, even or every good work that we do, needs to be measured in this sense, right? It, 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 you know, even even our good works become impure because people adopt social issues or causes only to look morally superior to other, superior to others or to, or to further an agenda in their own lives. Things that easily become polluted. I have to keep my focus on Jesus. So we want neither of these things in our lives. Neither of these things. A shipwrecked faith or a powerless form of godliness. Not one of those things do we want in our Christian spiritual formation. We want to grow up as we grow old, right? Into a deeply formed spirituality with Jesus in the context of local church, owning and living out his mission for his glory. That's what we want. And that's where we're going as a church. And that takes three, F, three things, at least three things for our purposes this morning. It takes effort, it takes uh, good tools, and it takes some awareness, self-awareness and maybe even awareness of others, right? Now, there is not much I can do because I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not you in the way of your effort. <laughs> I can't make you do things, right? You can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink. Right? I, I would say if you lack the desire to, to, to make effort right, in your spiritual formation, then ask the Holy Spirit to uncover your desire and, or, or to fill you with desire to walk these, these paths with Him. Right? Ask Him to give you what you don't have. I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's what that guy said. Remember that? That's the, those are the kind of prayers that we can pray. We can actually ask God to develop desire in us. Because it's there. It is there. But it may be covered up with so many things over the years, right? We've identified a few tools along the way as we've done this, these sermons, right? And we've done other sermons. Some of it which will uh, help in, our, our, uh, in the development of our self-awareness. And remember, 6-8's developed a team of, of 10 spiritual mentors, some of which... Uh, have been sharing tools at the end of these sermons. Dave's going to share some later um, today. And they're, they're available, available for you to glom onto and help you go further in your walk. They can meet with you to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, where He's leading you, or they can give you some new spiritually formative practices and ideas to, to do things because sometimes we just need fresh input, Right? They can suggest books or authors which may help you go further in your walk. Dallas Willard, love that guy, wish he didn't die. Like just, oh man, we need more Dallas Willards on the earth, right? They can guide you in laying out a rule of life, this sort of uh, personal plan of your own spiritual formation. Or they can just simply listen to you and pray for you, right? And pray with you. But the point is that outside input's important. Discipleship is important. Since left to our own devices, just doing it all on our own, we develop a one-sided spirituality. We really do. Which only reflects, you know, sort of our preferred pattern of being and doing. A friend of mine was on Wife Swap. I won't tell you who it is. You might know them, and they're not really happy about sharing that information there too much. Remember that show, TV show, Wife Swap? Um, you know, two families switch mothers for like two weeks. And typically they combine the very, very different families, you know, to up the ratings and the, the conflict and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and two moms literally 
move to, to the, uh, an opposite house with an opposite family, and they live there with their host family, you know, doing all the things that the other mom would have done with that family for the first week and observing family life, you know, as they, as they do that. And then after a week, they de- the mom develops a plan for changes in the family, right? And she makes a big poster board and all that kind of stuff. And, and things that she deems would be helpful to add or change in this family, right? For instance, if if the, the other mom just did all the chores and, and dad and the kids sat around and watched TV all day, she might come with a, with a chore list that is shared with everybody, right? And, um, you, know, you know, if dad never goes out and plays with the kids, she might make a plan for him to go to the zoo with the kids or something like that, right? Something fun. And typically... This is not a fun meeting for these families. Typically, it's not welcome. It, it's viewed as a, as a threat, but they have to. They're, they're under contract, right? They signed with WifeSwap. They've got to do it, right? And then after the two weeks are up, you know, the, the moms reunite with their families, and then they have this meeting over a table. And what you notice is that change has occurred. They can't go backwards. They'll never be the same, right? They are different now, both families, the moms bring home something from the other family that they think is good, and the, the other families, you know, bring something from that visiting mom to the new mom, or the, their original mom. That's very confusing. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know and, and, and inevitably, they decide to make changes in their family life, some variation of what's gone on, and, and they adopt all that into their family life. It's a brilliant show. I, I love it. You might think it's crappy, but I, I just love it. I just... Uh, I don't even know if it's still on anymore, but I used to watch it all the time. But individuals and families fall into routines, don't they? Modus operandi of your family, right? Either good or bad, and rarely with any outside input. We're all behind closed doors. And families develop a personality. And that show forces a foreign element into a family's life, and, and change, interestingly enough, seems always positive. Never negative. Isn't that weird? That's a little bit of the God image in all of us, right? Always Uptight families, uptight, rigid families, they become a little bit more relaxed and they play together more. Lazy, you know, kind of whatever families, they, they learn some much-needed discipline that makes their life a little bit better. It's really interesting. From cleanliness to time management to exercise to diet, families changed for the positive. That is really cool. All because they had somebody different living in their home for two weeks and they they were under contract to submit to whatever that mom came up with. And we are the same in our spiritual lives. We really are. Firstly, we we may have tools in our spiritual tool, tool bag which only fit our preferences, right? They only fit our preferences. So it gives us a very myopic view of the spiritual life, very myopic view of Jesus. We learn certain ways of pursuing our spiritual life, which, although may be good, may also be limited in view and scope and practice, right? So we tend to gravitate to to only that which we like, and many times we, we miss injecting other things into our spiritual lives or spiritual experience, which would be a great benefit to us, actually. We need the input of others to speak into our lives and lead us into new ways of experiencing Jesus. So if you don't have a discipleship relationship, I feel for you. You need it. Sometimes, you know, part of that happens in our community groups, part of that happens here on Sunday mornings, but it, it has to be an intentional pursuit, right? 
And sometimes we don't see the need for change until somebody identifies it. You might think you're the cleanest person in the world until somebody walks in the, in the house and they've got, you know, enough hoods to say, you know, how in the world do you live like this, right? You know, another great show is Hoarders, right? They help us clean up and, you know, suddenly we can find things. I love these sociological shows. Like, it's just crazy. But, you know, suddenly you can find things. Suddenly you can see things with new, new ways and all that kind of stuff. It's really kind of cool. It's the same with our spiritual lives. Sometimes we need a Christian brother or sister to walk into our soul and say, man, do you ever sweep this thing out, right? I have a spiritual director. I get on the phone with them once a month, and they get to pick me apart. We may have some good spiritual habits, right? But they tend to only take us in one direction sometimes, leaving parts of our soul untended, right? Secondly, we may have tools which don't really fit our preferences, right? We, we may have been discipled early on in our Christianity, led by somebody early on in our Christianity that is very different from us. You know, I might be an expert, they might be an introvert, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and they give us tools that they are comfortable with, and only those tools, which we may, you know, not, they may not fully work for us, right? They might be good, but they may not fully work for us. And we only know these few tools, and, and, very, and, and, and it's very much, uh, we, we very much need something in addition to them, something added to them, something which fits our person, personality type a little bit better. For example, my wife is an introvert. Uh, she's, le- she's fed by sunshine and being outdoors. Man, she just gets so happy, right? She's outside yesterday you know, digging around in her garden. She just like, she's just like that far off the ground. She doesn't even touch the ground anymore when she's outside. It's, it's really to watch. So, you know, she, that's what she's fed by. Her temple of worship is definitely not listening to me on a Sunday morning. That is not where she worships. She might worship at some level, but that's not her primary form of worship, right? It's outdoors hiking or digging around in her garden on a Sunday day, and that's where she's most worshipful. Now, if Kim were not nurtured early on in her, 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 her walk to value that as a very real and valid act of worship, if she didn't have good Christians around her saying, Kim, have you been outside? Go outside. You need to go worship outside. I mean, and, and really say that that is a valid act of worship. You know, if she was told that, that worship is only on Sunday mornings singing songs and, and you know, in theological study and you know, she wouldn't really be a worshipful person if that was the case, right? Not all our tool bags are the same, in other words. If you're a carpenter, your tool bag is going to look very different than a plumber's or an electrician's. But sometimes a carpenter needs a plumber and an electrician to show them some things about some issues in a build, right? And, they, and, they, and sometimes that, that carpenter will expand their tool bag, right, and, and become a little bit more versatile. So Joe knows just about everything about building. Right? He can do, the, he can do electric, electrical work to carpentry to everything else. I mean, he's developed that over the years. He's versatile. So Kim should rejoice outdoors. But she's also put into this community, into this body of Christ, to learn to value solid theological thinking from another brother or sister or to be drawn into serving others in discipleship from, from some faithful, extroverted sister around her, right? And how these things will aid her in her walk with Christ as well. She needs those tools too. 
Since if she only worships experientially out there in nature, she'd be very devoid of the solid theological meat which she needs in her diet with Jesus. Kim, by the way, is very good with feeding herself that stuff too. She's, she is diligent with her quiet times, much more than I am, right? Um, so that's all hypothetical. That's all. I just want to make clear that. But um, oh, I'll hear it when I get home. But um, she needs those of us who enjoy those things, right, who, who are passionate about these other kinds of things that she's not, to teach her how to grow in that vein as well. And, and nature will probably be, always be her primary form of worship, always, but it will be enhanced by a healthy understanding of God's word to her, Right? And a tool which um, will enhance our awareness of self self and others is the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which I mentioned last week. And it's 16 different, you know, sort of personality types that it reveals. I think Carl Jung, is it Jung? It's Jung, not Jung, right? That was his thing, right? And I, you know, I just wanted to bring this up this morning because... Uh, the book that we're using for this sermon series talks about it a little bit, and, and it, it may be a very familiar test for you, and, and, but I, I find that when I take these tests, I take them 10 years ago, and then I kind of forget about them, right? And then, uh, but it, you may have never heard of this, never taken the test, and you, you might want to try to take it, right? Because it might, you might learn something. But all the different personality types are expressed in four different categories, each represented with, with one letter. Right? So the first reveals your favorite world, right? Do you prefer to focus on the outer world or on your own inner world? So it's the extrovert, the introvert, E or I, right? And if you're an introvert, you're going to be drawn into those contemplative, you know, private modes of spiritual formation, right? The personal prayer closet is going to be your favorite place to be, right? That's, that's going to be a wonderful place. And you might need to be drawn out and to be reminded that others need to have input into your spiritual development, right? Or that confession with another and prayer with another, with other, other people around you is actually a part of your healthy spiritual life, right? That might make you scared to do that. But if you're an extrovert, right, you might get antsy and bored trying to have a personal prayer time, right? Lexio Divina, those, those journals that we hand out might, you know, might seem like, you know, mild torture to you, right? Um, but stick you in a room with 10 other people and ask you to lead a Bible study and you come alive. You love that part, right? You may need to be reminded that there is actually a value in the contemplative, quiet moments, just you and Jesus, right? You may need others to lead you into those quiet moments and give you simple tools to help you while you're there. And to, to remind you that five minutes of that is okay. It doesn't have to be five hours, right? The second has to do with information. Do you prefer to focus on the basic information you take in, or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning, right? So sensing and intuition, S and N. So are you a concrete and factual or, or, or imaginative and poetic? right? Do you think in the micro, like specific and literal, or the macro, like the big picture possibilities, right? And these two people could actually kill each other, right? They could actually murder each other, or they could learn a lot from each other. 
The sensing person, it, and I hope I've gotten all this right. Any of you counselor types can correct me and we'll make an adjustment next week, next week. But I think I've gotten this pretty down pretty well. But the sensing person could pull the intu- intuitive person out of the clouds a little bit and ground them more in reality. The intuitive person could expand the sensing person's worldview to accommodate greater things of faith and possibility. They could lend assurance that, that although not everything can be answered right away, there's something greater happening nonetheless, right? There are people that, like, have faith. Oh, it's okay. We'll get that answered four years from now, not four days from now, Right? The third category is about decisions. When making decisions, do you prefer to first look at logic and consistency or first look at the people and special circumstances? This is called thinking and feeling, T and F, right? The thinking person goes on facts, is level-headed, they're logical, they're driven by emotion, they might seem cold sometimes, maybe. The the feeling person is warm, they're empathetic, they're they're basing decisions on feeling and, and, and how a decision will affect others and they want harmony and things like that. And both of these are very valuable types of people, right? The thinking person may help the feeling person by reminding them that the thing that, that feelings aren't facts. You've heard that from me quite a bit. I'm a little bit more in the T area probably here, that, that sometimes it's better to stand on a fact no matter how someone feels about it, given its effects are far-reaching and damaging sometimes. That's what Paul was saying to Timothy in chapter uh, 1. Guard the faith. Stay on point with Jesus no matter what others feel about it. Stick with the message. Stick with the script. And the feeling person may help the thinking person to navigate relationships a little bit better, to grow in their intuitive nature of being able to read when feelings should be considered. And even though you might be right in something, it may not be the best time to say that, right? And the last category is about structure. So in dealing with the outside world, do you prefer to get things decided or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options? So judging and perceiving, right? People who fall under the judging category, if I'm getting this right, you know, in, in that category, are, are planners. They're, they're about rules. They're about deadlines. I, I very much fall into this. I, I love to have decisions made, right? It drives some people around me crazy. Uh, right or wrong, make the decision. Let's just get it done. That's like that one of my, yeah, amen, right? Let's just, just hammer that nail in the wall. That's what Joe says, right? It's just get it done. Perceiving folks are very flexible, they're improvised, they leave options open, they prefer spontaneity, and if handled rightly, they can both uh, really help each other out in obvious ways. My son, my oldest son, is very uh, perceiving. Can't, he's like nailing jello to a wall. It's like, are you going to come to Thanksgiving or not? I don't know, man. Like, I just cannot get an answer from him. It's like, it's like trying to catch a snake. And he's like, where is he? Are you coming to Thanksgiving? And he's like going through the grass. You know, you can't find him. I hate it. I hate it. But I've got to be patient with it because there's something about that. I love other pastors that are very, very perceived. I've learned a lot from them because in these big things where I'm like, oh, we've got to make a decision. They're like, wait, wait just chill, man, chill, man, we'll, we'll get it done. God will do it, God will do it, God will do it. I've learned from that. I've really learned from that. That is up to my faith quotient quite a bit when I can sit and listen and say, okay, all right, dude, you got it. I've seen you do it before. You got it. It's, a, it's cool, right? In short, tools like this and, and others, you know, other, others, you know, other tools are, are great ways to get to know yourself. They're great ways to identify strengths 
and great ways to identify needs in areas of growth and things like that. They help us to understand others, and they help us to understand ourselves and how we can interact together, right? People stop being enemies when we can understand them a little bit, right? And we can have better community. Rob Schaefer has been really into the Enneagram lately. And if you remember what I said about me and Rob Schaefer last week, you'll, you'll know. I'm a, I'm a type 8 in the Enneagram, and Rob is a type 2. And you go, go look it up and read the descriptions. You'll know how, why, like, Rob gets an eye twitch when I talk to him, right? So anyway, um, but, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to talk to him about that and what he's learned through that, go ahead and talk to him. I'm sure he would love it. But we, we want neither a shipwrecked faith nor a powerless form of godliness. We, 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 we don't want a spirit, uh, like a one-sided spirituality. We want to grow in our self-awareness to operate in community well, growing deeper with Jesus together. Uh, God's placed us here in community with others in the local body of Christ to grow together. We have more than enough tools in our tool bag to do that, right? It just takes effort to utilize them for the reason of becoming more like Jesus for the sake of others, to know him more deeply, to make him known in the world, right? So use your cards provided with the verses. We've, cho- we've chosen for this series, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And if you didn't get one of those cards, grab one, or we can, you know, forward one on to you, whatever. Um, I think there's a little, I don't see them from here, but there might be a little stack on that table. But Dave's going to come up and share with us this morning another spiritually formative practice for a few minutes, and then we're going to go on and worship some more. There you go, brother. Thank you. Good morning. Um, my wife and I have been married nearly 29 years, and we don't share a single letter. Uh, <laughs> we did that test, I think, about 18 months after we got married, and, you know, when the, the counselor comes back and says, oh, that's interesting. That's when, <laughs> anyway, um, who, uh, I know quite a few people in this church now. I've been going now here for about 18 months, and I know that there's a bunch of competent people here, um, some more than others. I like to think of myself as being quite competent I'm pretty good at at it and um, if you're a competent person or if you like to think of yourself as competent I have the spiritual discipline for you today because one it's challenging and two it's easy now the thing I'm starting to understand about um, what God thinks about competence is that he isn't actually that impressed with it I think Jason sort of said something similar in the sermon just then and in Ephesians 2 9 which we saw it says we aren't saved through works because God doesn't want boasting. Um, and of course we should do our best for God. That's not what that means. But you don't see the fruits of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and an ability to use the Microsoft Office software suite very well. It's not in there. So God is shaping my life and uh, shaping who I am. I went through the spiritual mentorship workshops. You've seen other people up here uh, in the previous Sundays. And I found them what I would describe as quite stretchy. Um, It really um, challenged about what I thought about a few things like how to listen and how to um, experience about how God may want to use me. And I hadn't really thought a lot about spiritual disciplines in the past, beyond my favorite toolbox, I guess, you, you, like we just heard, I have my favorite toolbox. I went to church, prayed, read the Bible, met with other Christians. 
Um, but the course opened my eyes, I guess, to other ways that could be helpful to meet God in how he is shaping me. Now, before I talk to you about this particular discipline, I want to ask you, uh, which of the Ten Commandments do you think is the one that most people forget? Just think about it for a sec. You can Google it when you get home, right? But it's not the seventh, adultery. It's not the sixth, murdering. It's not the tenth, which if you look in some versions is about coveting your neighbor's ass, right? Or donkey. <laughs> it's not that. Google it when you get home. It's actually the fourth. Do you know what the fourth is? Sabbath. And you know what? It's the only one of the commandments that begins with the word remember. Right? God knew we would forget about it. Right? And, or not likely to remember it so well. He actually put the word in remember. Remember the Sabbath. I think that's crazy. Um, and if you think that that's an Old Testament commandment that you can just, you know, like eating shrimp or something, that you can, it's okay, you can do it now? No. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, you can look at that, look that up too. Hebrews chapter 4 refers to it as well. There's no such luck there. Now, when I was growing up, there was societal acceptance, really, of the Sabbath that you could see, right? When I was growing up, there were, supermarkets were closed on Sunday. There were only a few gas stations that were open. Um, there were no professional sports, um, and, you know, my, my under-8s, when I was in the under eight soccer, we had a grand final on a Sunday, and it was only an exceptional circumstance, and only because one of the pastor's sons was on the team, that was the only reason I played, because my dad wouldn't have let me play otherwise on a Sunday. So that was then. Uh, we've gone away from that, but what I would say is I've drifted away from that, right? Um, Romans tells me not to conform to the pattern of the world, but I think, to be honest, I have on this. I have conformed to the pattern of the world. Um, so this is the discipline that I've chosen to pursue um, since I did this, did this course. And I say it's a discipline, but actually it's probably embarrassing for me to say, but it's kind of a matter of obedience, I think, too. So how do I do this? I set aside time on the weekend. Sometimes it's actually Saturdays um, as a day to rest, not do much, recharge, and be, just be, with, with my family. And I've been working on this only since July. It's been an adjustment because if Donna was here, she could tell you that sometimes I wander around and I say to her, look, I feel like I should be doing something, you know, and she'll tell me not to do that. And I want to tell you, like, physically, I have less neck pain than I did. Um, and I, I, I don't know, but I'm wondering if it's, if it's relate, related to that. And I'm starting to understand as I said at the start about competence, that important as all of the activity might be, stopping one day a week to recognise who's actually running the show is no, no bad thing. So the discipline is not to actually do anything, but to consciously stop. And, and that's not conforming to the world's pattern. And it does cause me to reflect about what I've done in the past and how I've raised my kids. I talked about how my dad raised me. I'm not sure I've raise them the right way in this regard, but we're talking about it. So I might be competent, you might be competent, but if, if we aren't Sabbathing, we're not really choosing to believe the commandment to stop doing and to just be with God and family, and that that's actually for our good. So I just want to encourage you on one day of the week, stop. Sounds easy, and 
uh, I know and you'll know that you'll have to just give it a try. Um, and just stopping to put things on a, on, in perspective on a weekly basis will be good. And then ask Jason if you'd like to spend time you know, with a spiritual mentor during the week too. Thank you, Dave. That was awesome.